Hello again, everyone, and this is IntelliKey Leadership Stories. I'm your co-host, Mark Stenson, and Kirsten Goldie here with me now. Hello, everybody. Our guest today is Erica Uppendell, and Erica, we're really glad to have you with us. Thank you both very much for inviting me. I'm very All excited right. to be uh, The idea of stories and leadership, I think, is a very powerful combination, so I'm very interested to have this conversation together. IntelliKey Leadership Stories, with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our website, pureintellikey.com. Here's your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. We're so excited to hear the stories we're going to hear today from Erica. Yes. And I think of all three of these words, IntelliKey and leadership and stories are all going to come together because we all want to know about what kind of leadership qualities can help us reach our full potential, both in our lives and our companies. Erica is the director of the Global Center for Conscious Leadership. She also runs her own consultancy as a member of a think tank called the Medinga Group which is a global collection of conscious leadership and socially conscious leaders in their own right. So Erica's got a lot of perspective on this idea. We've used this term, we've all heard this term, conscious leadership. But help us from a more academic or even a definitional standpoint, what do you feel defines a conscious leader? Mm. And it's a very good point because people use very different words at the moment and have done for, for you know, many, many years. And conscious is one. Responsible leadership is another. Authentic leadership is another. And they all perhaps come from the same standpoint, which is leaders that perhaps have a conscious and a conscience, a high con- level of conscience about what they do. Um, they tend to have greater levels of self-awareness or they are on the journey of developing self-awareness and a systemic awareness as well. What does systemic mean? It basically means that they have the ability to see the system as a whole. So they see their own world or their business world as in a sense of me. They then see the relationship that they and their businesses have with the outer world, which is the we. And then they see the impact on society, communities and society as a whole, which is then the us. Uh, what businesses and leaders have perhaps not necessarily suffered from, but focused on in the past is very much the we, which is uh, how am I as a leader? Uh, and perhaps often uh, in leadership, thinking about power and control, in the, in, certainly in the past, um, how are we as a firm doing independently and how are we competing with others? A new world leader, a conscious leader, thinks about how are we and others working together to solve the world's problems. So it's much more of collaborative thinking. The other piece is very much purpose-driven. Um, you talked about that at the beginning. So thinking about the organization ha- having a higher purpose and what do we mean by that? There is certainly a purpose of the organization that could be very focused on the well-being of its people, the well-being of its shareholders, but often having a higher purpose extends out to how do we impact on uh, the wider society? Yeah, how do we... How are we as a business and me as a leader, uh, how are we a force for good in the world? And so that's a kind of more of a conscious leadership mindset. And the other piece of a conscious leadership as part of the self-awareness piece is being able to understand, tame and train the ego, as they say, because that really does link to those things I'm thinking about, about seeing the wider picture. And linked to that is a leader that has, has the ability to see multiple perspectives. So one can hold one's own perspective 
but one can deeply listen to and seek to understand the perspectives of others. So one's coming from, perhaps one might term in a spiritual context, non-judgment, and really being open to holding the space for ideas to emerge and holding the space for individuals within the company to grow and the firm to grow as a whole. So those are the sorts of themes that we are looking for when we're looking for a conscious leader, being able to see the macro view as well, of course, as to be able to come down into the granularity of running a business. And being able to flex between those two is a really important capability of a conscious leader. For me, this is wonderful. This is like music to my ears. And there are a couple of words that are ringing. You're using the word world. So it's global. What impact am I making in the world? And that, to me, is a newer concept that's coming up rather than the smaller microcosm. What is the impact financially on the companies? Are you seeing a greater trajectory in their success and their KPIs and their ability to achieve what they set out to achieve? Or is there an impact for the shareholders by going in this? Because it's been thought in the past that you may compromise some potential profits to really embody the values of conscious leadership. I think it's a really important question, this one, Kirsten. It's something those of us that are, I suppose, working in this space and very interested in how this thinking evolves. I think it's one of the biggest question marks. Um, Raj Sisodia um, some time ago wrote a really good book called Firms of Endearment. And he has done some analysis on those brands over the long term that have sought to have a higher purpose and a sustainable business ethic or responsible business practices. And in his study, many of those firms out, outperformed Standard & Poor's by eight times. The question is, over time, um, how many of those businesses have dropped uh, more recently in, in, in difficult times? And some of them definitely have. Some of them have suffered from ethical aspects later on in their journeys and, and have struggled with performance. So um, I would say at the moment, this is something actually, um, Mark, you mentioned about Medinga. As a, as a think tank that is looking at brands with a conscience, we are looking at doing some research right now on the aspect of measurement of um, sustainable business practices, not just business practices, but in a context of conscious leadership and uh, responsible leadership. And thinking about those brands that hold fast to those principles of being a more humane business, of leading in the way that I talked about, uh, and clearly also um, thinking about those much, much more powerful environmental issues as well. So I would say, Kirsten, in my view, that I don't think the figures and the measurement is out there yet to support that. However, you could say, if you look at many of those businesses that have gone through B Corp, they have done it for a reason. Um, there is a lot of evidence that would say that the well-being of their people, and if you um, draw the analogy that has been long held, that if your people are, have a sense of well-being, if your people are engaged and motivated, the output of that will be a, a higher quality client experience. And therefore, if you judge a successful business on how well they are serving their clients, you could say that the evidence is there on that basis. 
That's good. Well, we look forward to that data as it comes through. But it sounds like there are some surrogate markers along the way. Would customer satisfaction or employee engagement and support of the company's mission, you know, would these be markers that we could look at uh, to help guide our thinking as to whether the company was moving ahead? Exactly, Mark. Yeah. That, that, okay. That's what I'm saying, really, that I think if you look at client experience and therefore client satisfaction, if you look at the engagement of employees, you could say that many of these firms, and there is evidence to prove that, that many of these firms have had long-term and long-held results in the context of client satisfaction. We recently worked with a company, Zen Internet, for example, uh, in the UK, that have extremely high client, uh, client satisfaction, customer satisfaction uh, figures. And also they have just become a B Corp member. So that would align to some say some of these clients, uh, they mirror their perspective on wanting to, to be a responsible business at the same time as delivering very high quality customer service. So I guess to build on Kirsten's question though about finance or stockholder value, what, what would drive a company and a conscious leader then to start making the, I mean, yes, it's the right thing to do, but mm-hmm. if they're responsible for the financial health and wellness of the company, what would be their motivation? Mm. Again, a good question, because I think John Mackey once said, um, ex-CEO of Whole Foods, he said, a business is only ever as conscious as its leader. And what you often see is a leader that has a particular vision or an ambition to move a business in a certain direction that has a higher purpose and a, and a conscious way of being or having a set of conscious principles. And they spend a lot of time doing that, getting the stakeholders and shareholders on board and beginning on the journey of proving financial measurement, financial results. Then uh, maybe their tenure is three to four years, five years. By the time they've halfway through that, they're thinking of leaving or they leave. Someone new comes in, maybe their vision and sense of higher purpose is different. They take the business on a different angle and the business goes down. So I think this is a a real challenge actually in, in the development of business at the moment and particularly the development of conscious leadership is the continuity and tenure of some of the leaders, yeah? So I think the problem for shareholders looking at that is, okay, we're looking into this. It seems like we're on the right trajectory. We're doing well, you know, and and of course, exterior factors have a big part to play. We've just gone through one of the biggest challenges of, you know, modern time. So all figures may be down. Our conscious businesses, you know, down further than other businesses. I think a lot's going to be depend on the sector, you know, and those sort of things. So you've got to also look at external factors. I think those shareholders or stakeholders that are understanding of perhaps a wider systemic issue and the impact of external factors, plus the need to have actually well-being within the organization, client satisfaction, and all of those factors that build up to successful, high-performing, healthy organization. If they're open to that and a little think a little bit broader than short-term quarterly results, then I think the leader has a a really good chance of of achieving more of a long-term sustained approach to this. But my own experience and looking into this is that it's it's a work in progress, I would say, for a lot of people. And and talking to quite a a lot of, of CEOs and managing directors, it is a real challenge for them to sell into the shareholders, you know, this idea. And the other thing is it can be a very lonely place for a conscious leader. Sometimes they really believe in this, but getting their, even getting their executive team on board with some of this without, uh, Kirsten, to your point, without this real uh, long-term financial evidence, 
that being a, a conscious business plays dividends. This is, you know, one of the hardest challenges, I think, for them. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because as you were speaking, you spoke a little bit to what my question was going to be. And having been sat in many boardrooms with many investors, conscious leadership is not on their mind. <laughs> it just isn't, which is we've interviewed a, an organization, CEO, and it is on her mind. And it's, it's fantastic to see. But, you know, the money shapes the direction of even the CEOs, like it really has a huge impact. How do you see that? Because I get a sense that if you could really get them on board, that will help with the long range trajectory. It's not there yet, but actually I think um, this will be the, perhaps one of the pivotal moments for this whole aspect of conscious leadership and conscious business is that ESG uh, is taking, you know, is having a real impact now on consumers, as in personal investors, and of course on the investment uh, management community. I think institutions, those that are responsible for pension funds, you know, it's hard for them to, you know, immediately adopt or focus an ESG strategy because they have to be very careful with their beneficiaries and those strategies. But you only have to see how investment management firms and banks and other people are looking now at a responsible uh, business. They, you know, people call it different things, responsible investing. But ESG is such an important part now of the investment community that I think this is now almost, it's, you know, it, it, it will actually bring everything else along with it. And I think you will potentially see now shareholders, you know, making a, a change perhaps in their, in their thought process around this. That would be my, my own perspective. I think it's very positive. I think, you know, we've been talking about this way before two, 2000, but in 2000, this was a very big, you know, beginning to be a big conversation. That's taken 20 years mm -hmm. uh, and we're still mm -hmm. not, you know, we're still not there yet. So by any stretch of the imagination. So it's a slow process, I think, unfortunately. But, you know, there's a lot of pressure now. You've got, you know, ESG, you've got a lot of support now from governments around the environment. So I think we've got a little bit of a perfect storm happening now uh, that we may maybe didn't have uh, 20 years ago. Yeah, and fascinating. I had a client yesterday, we were talking about the greatest wealth transfer going from, you know, the baby boomers over into the millennial and Gen Z group, which mm -hmm. I, I have to imagine over time, because they are socially responsible. They just they really have a global perspective that as you're talking, I'm seeing how that may have an impact as well. I'm just hypothesizing at the moment. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as Madinga, we've been doing a lot of work with Genco, the generation conscious, uh, and thinking <laughs> around how they will actually help, as you say, have that mind swell. And I think more, uh, more people are, you know, beginning to connect now about the generation gap. And the, 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 I, I believe, you know, a lot of the talks that we do are at, uh, in MBAs and universities. And these people are very well informed. They select their brand based on values and purpose and ethics. Mm -hmm. And they are, you know, do a lot of research around it. Um, so I think, you know, this is another factor in all of this. Yeah. Uh, well, you've introduced a new term for us that we'll be using now from now on. Generation conscious. Uh, <laughs> no, no more baby boomer, millennial, Gen yeah. X kind of talk. Uh, <laughs> 
I love that because that could cross a lot of borders and that's what I love. Erica, in this podcast, we're not afraid to cross into, you even mentioned the spiritual realm as a global consciousness, a more socially aware mindset. Do you feel any of that is helping the, the timing of these trends, that there could be some metaphysical forces at work. We are opening up to thinking more globally. I do. I, I really do. And I think for me, I've always held this idea or motto. It's, it's, I guess it's a Buddhist way of thinking, which is right thought, right action, right outcome. A right outcome meaning right for everyone, not necessarily just for the person. It's the right person, right? Yeah. But I think that's very important. You know, if we start with what is the right thought process, and this comes back to my point about self-awareness and uh, understanding as a leader, for example, the triggers and the old behavior patterns that hold us back. And that is a very much a spiritual practice, self-awareness and understanding. Right action links back to values. Uh, very much in principles and long-held beliefs around what is right and what is right not just for me what is right for all those that are around me and I have relationships with and what is right for the planet and if we get those right the right thinking and the right actions then ultimately we would have the right outcome so for me it's not using spiritual language but for me that is a is a very spiritual way of thinking about how I would turn up as a leader and how I deal with adversity or aspects that come into my mind with non-judgment. I very much like the word grace. I think grace has a, an extraordinarily powerful thought process behind it. And I use the analogy of, of grace being around um, generosity of spirit, respect for others, awareness, compassion, and allowance of what is there to emerge. Um, and that, that those... For, for me, grace is a very important way to lead one's life. Um, and so there again is, a, a, in a sense, a spiritual aspect of that. The metaphysical side, I think, is, you know, the collective energy and the collective consciousness is, is a very powerful way, um, I think, to see the world, understanding the synchronicities that are happening. We talk uh, a lot about the idea of somatic leadership or um, being able to sense things and to not just think them, but to also sense in our body. I think we mentioned, Mark uh, or Kirsten, that, that we, I do a lot of work with horses, and also we do a lot of work in nature, which is very somatic, which is also listening to the body and allowing our body to provide some of the answers. You know, our body, you know, like an organization, is a, is a fully, you know, fully powerful intelligence system. Uh, and we tend just to walk around often with every, trying to get all the answers in our heads. And when we use our full system, our whole system, um, and that comes back a lot to spirituality, um, you know, people who do yoga, meditation, all of those aspects of really sensing in, allowing the intuition to come, allowing the inner voice to speak can be very, very powerful as well. And so that also links to youth theory, of course, in business, you know, that allowance, that being fully present, allowing down the, the, the curve and up the other side for the right things to, or the, or the powerful things, the creative things to emerge. So I think spirituality and business models have a very, you know, a, an extraordinary mirror and they reflect each other. Um, so I, I'm a huge believer in spiritual intelligence as part of business intelligence. I would like to thank you for the eloquent way that you defined a spiritual presence because it doesn't have to be 
out there in woo-woo and dreadlocks, right? There is a real natural presence to it. So thank you for that eloquent example. And what I got present to, having been in corporate for so long and sitting at the executive level, is the burnout, the disease that the physical body takes on, right? It begins to decay, the amount of cancer, the lost marriages. That around 45, I started getting really present to how many people were getting sick or ill, including myself. How do you see this conscious leadership? Because caring for the body and listening to the body, what do you offer in self-care in these roles? Mm. Yeah, I, I suppose the first piece for me is thinking about, going back to that piece around awareness, it's being able to be in tune with the people that are around you. Um, taking time, actually caring. We don't use that word. We tend not to use, like to use that word very often, care in business. <laughs> but mm-hmm. truly caring, that comes back to the, you know, the idea of a humane business. You know, comes back to the idea that we are better collectively. And so um, everyone around us, the health and wealth and prosperity of everyone around us brings us all up. So for me, that care and attention of each other and how people are and what they need is very important. I think right now there are more businesses aware of the well-being of people. I think particularly having gone through COVID, people are, are much more aware of what uh, people need or checking in more, let's, let's say that, with what people need. And I think for me, we've just been working with the idea of rituals um, because rituals are a very powerful symbol of the sorts of things that used to be, you know, almost foundational or an essence of something that has a symbol of taking care of something. You know, it's taking care of myself. When I do a ritual, if I light a candle, um, you know, I may run a bath, you know, pour a glass of wine. That's a very nice ritual. You know, I immediately relax. A ritual might be checking in and not starting your meeting with saying, right guys, what's the agenda? And, you know, let's start with the finance. The ritual might be just checking in with every single person. How are you doing today? How are you feeling today? You know, is there anything we can do for you to support you today? So these are very human interactions that in sometimes business, they get lost in business sometimes by the nature that we've kind of got tuned and used to businesses, fast paced, it's powerful, it's technical, and it doesn't need to be. I think. So that piece around taking care of oneself, taking care of one's body, we are, of course, responsible for our own well-being. But I think leaders and organizations also have a role to play in a very, very important role to play in the well-being of, of individuals. Yeah, so good. Well, Erica, you've given us so much to think about from the personal practices, some techniques that we can use to be more aware of our we in the room all the way up to really defining some of the principles and qualities of what a conscious leader is. I'd like to close with a recap of those definitions. And I think I heard the me, the we, and the world, but I wanted to be sure that we really captured that right. Could you summarize that for us again? Yeah, it's very much the me, who I, whoever I am, a leader, an executive, an individual in the world. It's, it's the we, it's the, my interrelationship, my relationship with others that may be close to me. It could be family, it could be friends if I'm an individual. But of course, as a business, you know, it's my teams, my company, and actually firms that you know are maybe in partnership with me or work with me. And then it's the wider impact. It's the us. 
It's collectively, how are we going to help solve the problems and challenges of the world? And how do we as a company or as a leader, what is the impact we have on the world, on the planet? So if I'm an energy business, for example, you know, I'm thinking about what is the wider impact on society? So that absolutely, uh, Mark, it's the, it's the me, it's the we, it's the us. And to Kirsten's point, I think there is just earlier there around the idea of, of what a, a leader can be. I do think there is a piece for leaders around holding the space. Um, a lot of leadership believe that, you know, you, it's all about powering forward and driving. And often it's actually really, you know, that lovely term silent leaders. You know, there is always that space to hold and that quietness of a leader that can also be extremely powerful. Well, Erica, can't thank you enough for the conversation and insights. I know our listeners are going to want to read more about this and connect with you. Where can they find more about you and your work and the center's work? Sure. Well, we're on uh, the Global Center for Conscious Leadership website. Uh, so it's the Global Center for Conscious Leadership.com, GCFCF.com. And um, there's some great books. My colleague, Gina Hayden, has written, I think, a really seminal book on conscious leadership, which is Becoming a Conscious Leader. Uh, with a great title, How to Lead Successfully in a World That's Waking Up. <laughs> we okay. hope it is. We really yes. hope it is. So, great uh, title. Great right. title. Right. <laughs> and if we could set the alarm right now, wake up world. Exactly. <laughs> That's a great book. Uh, but there are many others. Raj Sisodia has written a number of great books on conscious leadership. And you know, there are a whole number of different books. But if you, we are, there is a list of Contribution books on our website. So that's an easy uh, win for everyone. Great. We'll highlight that in the show notes so people can link to it. Well, our guest has been Erica Ufendel. We've been checking in uh, with London in the UK. Thank you. Very nice to meet you both. Yes. Thank you. And to all our listeners, this is an example of the kind of leadership conversation about IntelliKey, meaning reaching our full potential. And if you're thinking about setting your goals for 2021 and beyond, because we've just heard how long-term some of these things have to be considered, then continue to follow Erica and the work at the Global Center for Conscious Leadership, but also continue to listen to our podcast. We'll be talking to more experts, both in a very macro global sense and a very local small business, what can each of us do in our own businesses and our own practices. You've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. IntelliKey Leadership Stories is copyright pureintelliKey.com. IntelliKey Leadership Stories.